two, three. Welcome to. <laughs> no, we gotta do it at the same time, so we're just gonna say recording. Welcome, Welcome to, to a Florida, Florida thing. I am your host, Tyler, with my grandmother, Grammel. On today's episode, we're gonna be talking about Tampa Bay Noir, a new collection edited by Colette Bancroft, who is also the books editor at the Tampa Bay Times. Then, in the second segment, we're going to actually get to talk to Colette. We are going to interview her about the collection about the Times Festival of Reading, about writing this kind of crime fiction, because she has a piece in there. I think it's going to be a great conversation. I'm excited about that. And, you know, when you were a little boy, the same friend that I'm having a book club with right now got me to go to the first festival. She had never been and she wanted let's go. And from then on, as the story goes, I took Tyler every year. And he ended up being a speaker at the festival. They have good food, too. We'll talk to her because now this no year... No chocolate, I don't think. I think it's virtual events, so we'll have to... Oh, oh we'll have to do that. We'll that have would to be do that. Fun. That would be fun because I walk with a cane, so that'll be helpful. In your understanding, what does noir mean? It's all about mystique. So according to Google, noir is a genre of crime, film, or fiction characterized by cynicism, fatalism, and moral ambiguity. So there's a lot of criminal elements to all of the pieces. This collection, it's broken into four different sections based on geography of the Tampa Bay area. So the first section is the suburb Sinister, and it has folks like Lori Roy and Tim Dorsey. Then part two is Blood in the Water with Lisa Unger, Sterling Watson. Louis Catello. Part three is Grifter's Paradise. Tall, dark, and handsome. Written by Ace Atkins. The Midnight Preacher by Sarah Gerard and Jack Knife by Danny Lopez. His story took place in Gibsonton, where carnival folks used to reside, which I knew a little bit about, and I've, I've been really interested in that, so I was interested to see how this writer took that into consideration. And then part four is Family Secrets, with folks like Gail Massey. Yay! And Colette Bancroft has Yay. a story in there, and she is the editor. There Yay. are other folks in there, too, but you're going to have to buy a copy and see who else is in there. How about we talk about some of the stories that spoke to you, since there are a good amount of stories in here. Why don't we just highlight a few that spoke to you? I loved um, the one that was written in at Pinehouse Park, and that was by Gail Massey. It goes in the story of a young little girl's life that was very, very sad, but she had people that loved her, but her poor mom and dad, it really got into the uh, relationship with her and her grandfather, her and a coach, and these were all sweet relationships. She was a, a good girl that got dealt a bad hand, and the way she coped with it uh, was off the wall. But a very interesting story, and I, it was a surprise ending. It kind of 
aligns itself with that old writing rule is if there's a gun, the gun has to go off. Really? Yes. But so, who's the gun going off toward? And does the gun hit anything? Those are those are questions. Yes. The hitting someone that you is usually up in the air. And I think that this collection, there's a lot of guns hitting things. There's a lot of interesting and creative ways of dying. Dying. That includes a, <laughs> includes a hula hoop. So let's now talk about the one that you and I were talking a little bit about last night called Tall, Dark, and Handsome. And that piece is by Ace Atkins. It's grouped in part three, The Grifter's Paradise. And grifter means someone's trying to scam you, someone's trying to get money, pyramid scheme, Bernie Madoff kind of person. There was a good movie made and the name of it was Grifter. And who was in that one? The guy with the lazy eyes and has his sister, Joan. Oh, John Cusack. Yes. 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 I would never think to describe him with lazy eyes. And Tall, Dark, and Handsome, this is one that you were talking about. What was it that you drew you to this one? Well, the name, of course. But I see another vein going through these noir stories. And I think it's one people don't have a lot of self-confidence. They don't think highly of themselves. They don't set boundaries. And this is what happens in Tall, Dark, and Handsome. Mm -hmm. And I'm a boundary setter. And that wouldn't happen to me. So essentially, this woman moves from, I think it was Detroit. I can't, I think it was, it was somewhere up north. I do think it was Detroit, though. She moves to the West Shore area. She gets out of job at the mall. And she's... She's very preoccupied with shaving men. Right, because that's her job at the mall. Yeah. Right, so there's something there. Mm -hmm. And The story is very intriguing and interesting. And then she meets this man, who I don't think is tall, dark, and handsome. No, he was not. (laughs) She keeps talking about how old and saggy he looks. Yeah, and uh, he's got white hair. So see, he's not tall, dark, and handsome, I don't think, either. I think probably at one point, maybe. Mm-hmm. I guess. And he has a prescription problem. <sighs> Blue pill. Yeah. I think that's... I don't know if that's a problem. I think that's... Anyway, let's just skip past that. So, um, she meets this man, and she goes on a date with him, and he's very charming to her. She finds him charming. Except... He forgot his wallet. He forgot his wallet. The classic, oh, I didn't bring my wallet. I forgot it. So she meets this man um, who doesn't pay. And the bill is like 300 and like yeah. almost $400 because they're popping bottles. It's, it's expensive. So that for you is a red flag. That's where you would just definitely not be going on a second date. So if you were in her shoes, what had happened would not happen. Right. You know. Because I have standards. Right. Well, she kept talking about, you know, she was feeling lonely and she was, the man was very charming, all of these kind of things. You get a book. You get a good book when you're lonely. If you read. You read this book, maybe, if you're lonely. Right. Read the noir. That will keep you. That will make you not want to go on a date. (laughs) That will keep you straight. But it will keep you entertained, too. 
books just take you so many places. And if you read regularly, you won't have time to get lonely. Books can keep you company. And we are, uh, I am meeting some awesome authors and, and their books are just amazing. And I've loved reading them and I've learned getting to know them. And it makes me now even uh, love the authors as much as I love reading. Is there another story you'd like to talk about? Well, of course, Sarah's. And that was about this off-the-wall preacher named Buck. Sarah's protagonist was a journalist. And she really knew how to go after a story. And nothing made her back down or back off. And she was brave to a fault. She had her standards, and she was smart. So her story is called The Midnight Preacher, and it is about a kind of, he's like a televangelist kind of person, but kind of a bootleg version. And he does it on the internet, and he's shady, and he's a grifter. That's why they're in the grifter section. And we actually got to talk to Sarah about her writing that story on another episode. And she said... I won't give too much away, but she said that it started from her own interest in someone who was actually like the character that she wrote about in this fiction. Yeah, evangelists seem to have a poor kind of decision-making. I just think for some of them, it seems like they're really ego-driven. Yes. And they are collecting a lot of money and stuff like that. It can get very dicey. And their idol becomes power, I think. Right. Though we do like some televangelists, like... Marilyn Hickey. Marilyn Hickey. Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer. She's Bobby my homegirl. Andy Stanley. I got some. They're awesome. I like Joyce Meyer, even though she's she does push a lot of books and stuff like that and things like that. I do like kind of some... But her books are real good. Anyway. And so is Marilyn's. And so is Bobby's. So I like Sarah's... I piece as well because it it was a really like she was finding clues as she was going out going along and it it had a really good pace we you know we can check back with sarah's episode to hear more about that story one piece i liked a lot of the pieces in here and what's cool about them is they have a lot of good pacing they're very fast-paced reading i would advise not skipping around because if you start at the beginning you're like questioning everything but at, as you read the stories you kind of get with the pattern and you start not wondering as much as just immersing yourself into the story I agree I think that's a good idea a good way to approach it and then so the piece that I want to talk about is called Only You and that's by Lisa Unger and it takes place in Clearwater Beach and essentially that story is about a guy who moves away from Clearwater, gets rich, moves back, and is trying to get back with the love of his life. I like this piece because it really reminded me of being at the beach. The descriptions really put me back in to Clearwater Beach. I could see myself there at some of these places that I've I've been to parts of the beach and stuff like that. And it was really nice. It made me want to go to the beach and nostalgic for those times. And this protagonistic person hadn't got rich by doing what 
he created a video game. And why was he back in town besides the love of his life? Because he was rich and he wanted to build a house. Not a house, a mansion. So he was quite successful. Yes, and the video game aspect was cool too because there were some parallels in the writing. They would kind of discuss the video game, which I thought was cool. Is that what they were doing? Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes that makes sense now. The See, I'm not a gamer, so I didn't grab that part. The character was trying to get home, and he was trying to get home, and it was talking oh about goodness. art and all of that. That makes so much more sense. Jeez, oh, I'm 77. Very smart, but... You've never played a video game? No. I think maybe I might have done a one of those things that you shake the machine. A pinball machine. I think I might have done them, one of them, maybe one time. And I did not see the point of it. So, you know, I'd rather read a book. I'm not a big gamer either. I've definitely read more books than games. Though I have played video games. I just... Oh, I have another grandson that loves his games. Games, games, games. Games, games, games. Bless his heart. All right. So is there anything else that you'd like to say about this book? It's an eye-opener. I would recommend it. There is some crime. There's death, murder, those kind of things. Blood. (laughs) Hula hoops. (laughs) But it's fun. We will live to read another day. (laughs) Oh, well, I had one author already send me two books. I also have a book club with a friend of mine that lives in Ohio, and I buy my own books, too. (laughs) A lot. You pay for your own dinner. You buy your own books. I'm a (laughs) B-I-T-C-H, a babe in total control of herself, except chocolate. (laughs) Okay. No control. In the last segment, we talked about Tampa Bay Noir, the edited collection, and now we are going to get to talk to Colette about the book, about her writing, about noir, and about the Times Festival of Reading, which is a huge event and is always a lot of fun. Here we go. How are you? I'm doing fine. Great. you got a wonderful name. Oh, thank you. How many times have you been asked that, do you know Anne? (laughs) All the time. All the time. (laughs) But I just wanted to, you know, keep it in there. Yeah, we we used to have, my my husband and I had a dog named Annie. And, <laughs> and, and people called her Ann Bancroft all the time. <laughs> oh, how cute. Yeah. I have but a no, dog named Roxy who I just call names. <laughs> <laughs> so can you talk to us a little bit about how did the book come to be from initial thought to publication? Well, the, the noir books are a series. They've actually done more than 80 of them, as a matter of fact. They started doing them about 15 years ago, and there's Miami Noir and Boston Noir, and then they just expanded from there. And But they had, they had never done Tampa Bay, and I had some sort of connections a little to the publisher, and I was familiar with the books. I'd seen them. And so we connected, and I wrote, I wrote a proposal for it, and I started working on it about two years ago. The first step is recruiting the authors. You know, I had to find 
people who were willing to do it. They're all new stories. They're not, you know, they've never been published in other places. So they had to agree to do the stories. But fortunately in Tampa Bay, there are a lot of really good writers. So I had a good feel to choose from. I really, I, you know, I told someone else I could have had an anthology with 50 writers in it, but their limit is 15. So so I recruited those authors and um, they turned in the stories. We went through the editing process and, you know, production and all of that. And it was a lot of fun. It was interesting to work with. These are all authors that I've met in the course of my job at, at the Times as the book editor there. And I've reviewed the books by most of them. And it was interesting to be involved in the editing process with them. It was not very hard work. They're all really good writers and very professional. And, you know, so it wasn't heavy lifting to edit them. But still, it was interesting to have that kind of back and forth process with them. They were very well written. I don't know how you choose because, I mean, there's so many to choose from and mm-hmm. how you chose down to 15 because there's a lot of talent. Yes, there is. There is. And and it was hard to choose. There were, you know, people I wish I could have included that I that I couldn't. The publisher likes to get diversity into the books. So some of the some I had to choose writers who were both men and women. I had to have some writers who were people of color. I had to have some writers who were LGBTQ people. And so that was, it was kind of putting a puzzle together, you know, to, to think about those things as well as just wanting to get really good writers. But I think it worked out. I saw some in the field of the authors, they were young and old, mm-hmm. excuse me, young and still younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> most, I think most of them are younger than me too, but, yeah. but there's a range. Yes. What had been your connection to noir? Is it something you've been very interested in reading and writing or what's your relationship to it? Yeah, I've always been a fan of noir, of crime fiction in general, and of especially of noir writing. Before I was a journalist, I got a master's degree and did PhD work in English and, and focused, especially when I was working on my PhD, focused on crime fiction. The, the dissertation I never quite finished is about the crime fiction writer Raymond Chandler, who wrote The Big Sleep and The Long Goodbye. And he's kind of one of the founding fathers of American crime fiction. And he's not exactly a noir writer himself, but he often kind of moves in that direction. And and so I was I've always been interested in it. I like that. I like the style of a lot of noir writers and I like that the kind of dark uh, way that they look at the world. So yeah, I've I've been a fan for a long time. It was kind of a natural fit for now, me. Now that's what the movie Gaslight was, yeah. wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, there are a lot of film noir as a whole, you know, kind of the, I think the books came first, but then film noir came became a whole genre on its own, but yeah, that's that's certainly one of them. And so you have a piece in there. Can you talk to us a little bit about your writing of the piece and your inspiration and, and your work on it? Sure. It, it was unusual for me in that I made my living as a writer. I have for you know most of my adult life, 
but I've, I've been a journalist for over 30 years, and I haven't written fiction since I was in graduate school, since I was in my 20s. And this is the first, you know, story I'd written in a, a fictional story in a very long time. But as I was working on the book, um, they gave me the option. The, the, each, each of the books in these series has an editor that does the job I did of putting the book together. And the editor always has the option of writing his or her own story or not. And at first I thought, oh, I'm not going to write one. I have so many good writers. But the more I worked on their stories, I thought this little bit of, I had an idea for this story that had been in my brain for a while. And I just thought, oh, I'm just going to write it, you know. And if it's terrible, they'll tell me, you know, it's terrible. Don't put it in there. <laughs> right. So, so I wrote it. And it actually, it didn't take me that long to write it. I wrote it and rewrote it over about a month. Um, and, and some of it is, it's based in a neighborhood in Tampa called Rattlesnake. And I lived there when I was a kid. I mean, the, the, the setting of the story comes from my own background and little bits of the story come from my own experience, but it really is fiction. I've had a couple of friends read it and say, that's terrible that that happened to you. And I'm like, that's not me. (laughs) (laughs) The, The most autobiographical thing in that story is the mother, the snake killer mother. That's my mother. That's okay. That's the most autobiographical thing. But, um, but it came out of, you know, some things that I knew about that had happened to other people, but I really did make most of it up. It really is fiction. I am not, I wasn't familiar with Rattlesnake as an area. I don't think I wasn't either. I, I thought you were talking about the town in Florida. Yeah. It's a neighborhood in Tampa that it's not, people don't usually call it that these days. But it used to be called that. It's the area right around West Shore Boulevard in Gandy. If you come off the Gandy Bridge coming into Tampa, right at the, the Tampa end of the Gandy Bridge, that, that used to be called Rattlesnake. There was a, a Rattlesnake post office at that oh, intersection. And it was named that because long ago, uh, there was actually a rattlesnake canning plant located there. And that's in the story too, mm-hmm. where they would catch rattlesnakes and cook them and put the meat in cans and sell it at like Stuckey's, you know, tourist, tourist stops along the highways. And, and so it, it was called that. And when I lived there as a kid in the 1960s, it, people still called it rattlesnake. People don't call it that much anymore. Although if you Google map, Tampa, often that neighborhood will show up as Rattlesnake on a Google map. It's interesting that, that somehow Google picked that up. I don't know how, but, but that's where it came from. But the stories, the other stories are, as I said, they're all over. They range from like the north end of Clearwater Beach down to Gibsonton and Largo. Right. Largo, yes. Largo. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting we, that we asked the writers to each to pick a a neighborhood and to avoid overlap before they began writing. I I got each of them to tell me where they wanted to set their stories so that they wouldn't, you know, write about the same neighborhoods. And I was a little bit afraid that a lot of writers would pick Ybor City Mm -hmm. just, you know, because it has kind of a history of crime and none of them did. Not one person picked Ybor City. It was, it was, 
that that you know that surprised me. But that proves that authors are unpredictable. <laughs> yes, they are. They're, they're their own uh, their own people. So I have a cousin that uh, uh, was born in St. Petersburg, but she when she got married, she got a home in Pinehouse Park. Mm-hmm. And I want her to read that story, mm-hmm. which was one of my favorite. But I think I have about ten favorite. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you have so many favorites. <laughs> Good. Well, you know. I just love variety in life, period. Mm-hmm. And I have a, usually my favorite book is the book I'm reading right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's all, also the best book ever been written. Is yeah. The one I'm reading right now, you know. Yeah. And yeah. I know that gets boring for my loved ones to hear, you know, <laughs> but yeah. that's the way it is. I just, I say I love words yes yeah yeah i feel that way too and because of my job people often ask me what's your favorite book and i i and i i hate that question because <laughs> i can't pick a favorite book i could probably give them a list of the hundred best books i've read you know but but i'm sort of like you i it, often it's the book i'm reading right now Unless and ask me next right week, now and I'll my least you. favorite book. That happens once in a while, but most of the time, you know, it's the one I'm right in the middle of. So and your yeah. job just sounds special. I'm very lucky to have it. I'm very lucky to have it. Who so doesn't? something that I also liked about the book, like she was talking about, was and you were saying there's a diversity in people writing, and there's a diversity of narratives as well. Right. And they're specifically dealing with some issues of gender and sexual orientation right. and stuff like that. So I thought that was a really cool element of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. And I, and I was glad that was something that I didn't have to ask authors to do. You know, that's something that, that those writers did on their own. And I was, I was glad to see that diversity just sort of come naturally to them with the stories. Yeah. I like that too. Well, and I was, I, I always think it's, um, you know, real to uh, have a hurricane mentioned uh-huh. yes. in a story because we have hurricanes. Oh, yes. That's part of our life in Florida. That's right. Well, when that story came in, that's, that's uh, the story Jackknife by Danny yes. Lopez. And it starts at the strip club, the Mons Venus strip club right. in Tampa with a stripper and a, an ex-cop falling in love. And then it ends in Gibsonton, you know, the circus town with a hurricane. And I wrote him back and I said, you have the Mons Venus, Gibsonton, and a hurricane. That's the trifecta of Tampa Bay Noir. You there you go. Iconic. You touched every base. It was, you know, it was really fun to get that story. It's a good story. And after writing the short story that you have in the collection, has that kind of reignited maybe more work from you or how do you feel about the writing fiction moving forward i don't know i'm sort of i I, i'm not sure i'm kind of waiting to see what kind of response it gets it was fun to write um but i'm not sure whether i want to write more fiction or not it's possible i like that i mean i thought your story was really strong and you know it had a lot of interesting elements in it thanks Um, and especially like ending the collection too, I thought mm-hmm. was an interesting place to have that story because it yeah. deals with 
without giving too much away, you know, has some exploitation, some mm -hmm. some trauma involved in it that some of the other stories had, but in different ways. I thought that, mm -hmm. that was an interesting way to end the collection. Yeah, thanks. And I, and I I wasn't sure about putting it last, although I felt that was a good place for it. And the publisher really liked it in that having it in that position. He he felt that way too that it was a good endpoint for the collection. So. And I also liked one of the advanced reviews that the book got, Kirkus Reviews, the one in Kirkus Reviews, said that my story was the perhaps the most disturbing story in the collection. And given what the kind of literature this is, I was really proud of that. I was, yay, mine was the most disturbing. Right. <laughs> the most disturbing of the disturbing stories. Of the disturbing <laughs> stories. So, you know, I... Well, I thought one of the uh, sweeter stories, if you can use the word sweet, mm -hmm. was the one about the little girl that came from Colombia. Yeah, yeah. And there and certainly bad things happen in that story. But that character herself, you know, the the character who narrates the story, I really like her. You know, I like that character and I liked her how she felt about her family, about her parents, you know. I, yeah, it, that story does have a kind of sweetness to it, you're right. And so I know you, you all have an event coming up mm -hmm. with the bookstore in early August. How has what's going on changed your events and what other events are you kind of thinking of doing for this well, book? It, it's changed everything about, you know, book events for me and for, for everyone else. You know, I had hoped to... I'd hoped to do, you know, book signings and have some of the other authors, um, contributors to the book join me and because a lot of them live here. And that was what I was thinking all along as I was working on this over a year and a half. But we can't do any of that. So we're doing a virtual book launch with Tombolo Books in St. Petersburg on August 4th. And that will be me and Lisa Unger and Sterling Watson and Gail Massey wow. contributors. Yeah, and we'll be doing a, a basically a Zoom, you know, event. And then on August 9th, I'm going to do another event with Oxford Exchange Bookstore in Tampa, the same sort of thing. And I'll have three contributors, other different contributors with me there. I'll have Tim Dorsey. Lori Roy and Elliot Schreffer uh, for that event. And uh, I've done some interviews, at, but this one, of course, and I've done a couple of TV and radio interviews about the book. And then in November, um, Tyler, as you know, because you were there a couple of years ago, uh, we do the Times Festival of Reading. And that too is going to be virtual this year. Uh, we just thought it probably wasn't a good idea to get 5,000 people together, you know, at a live book event. So we're doing everything virtually and recording interviews with authors, but we'll, we'll be doing something for this anthology too. I don't think, I don't think I'm going to put all 15 of us on screen at the same time right. because, you know, that does, I don't think that's going to work awfully well. But what I may do is um, do like three groups of five, you know, authors, and um, then people can watch online that conversation online. And uh, 
and buy the book. That sounds very exciting. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. We're, we're doing this festival like from the ground up, you know, as a virtual festival. So we're figuring it out as we go along. But I hope it works out. Well, I walk, I walk with a cane. Well, when I'm out. Mm-hmm. So that just, you know, is right up my alley. It would be very hard for me to cover that much ground. Right, right. But I can cover that much ground sitting. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, uh, and also, every year when we have the festival, you know, it's on one day and we have about 40 authors, 40 something authors. And every year people complain to me, why did you put my two favorite authors at the same time? And I had to pick one. I couldn't see them both. Well, now you can see everybody, you know, as you said, from the comfort of your own home. (laughs) Yes. We had gone to the Times Festival of Reading forever Mm -hmm. when I was younger. Glad to hear it. I have a loving history of that because every year I took Tyler and Mm -hmm. he probably started when he was about seven or eight. Oh, great. That's so great. I have a real tender spot in my heart for the festival. Is there going to be a way for people out of, out of state to watch it? Right. It'll be online. Anyone, anywhere. Oh, okay. Watch it. Yeah. It'll be, I think it's going to be hosted on YouTube. So okay. we'll have a website for the festival and you can go to that website and say, you know, I want to see, um, you know, Laura Lippman's talk interview you know i'm going to most of them will be interviews with the authors or panels so you can just click on that and the video will come up and and you can be anywhere you know you can do it from anywhere and can you talk to us a little bit about how you i know because i know you've been involved with the festival for a while so maybe just your involvement with that when you first started and how it's evolved over the years I I was the second person to sort of work on it. The the previous book editor got it off the ground. This will be its 28th year, and I've been doing it for 13 years. So it was already kind of established, you know, when I took over the job. The first couple of years were crazy because I was trying to figure out what I was supposed to do. I don't do everything myself, thank goodness, because that would be impossible. Um, I work a lot with our marketing department at the Times who do a a huge amount of work on it. And we have volunteers who work on it. And some of the other Times staff help me with it. So it's definitely a group effort. The main things I do are recruiting authors. Um, you know, inviting authors to to be at the festival. And that's, up until now, that's been a big part of the job because you're you're competing for authors. And and when we were doing the festival as we've usually done it live, that meant you had to try to get an author to come to St. Petersburg on a specific day. And the biggest thing that kept us from getting every author we wanted was scheduling. Because mm-hmm. we were always competing with other book festivals and other venues. And, you know, you'd, you'd say, I want Carl Hyacin. And they'd say, sorry, he's already booked for that day. Or he's going to be in Seattle the day before and we can't send him all the way back to Florida. Whatever. It was always a scheduling, you know, puzzle. What I'm finding, another silver lining to do it, to doing it the way we're doing it, is that it's easier to get people because... I'm not asking them to be here on a certain day. I'm just asking them to come online for an interview sometime between August and October. Right. And it's, it's much easier 
for, I'm getting people I've wanted for years and haven't been able to get before. So I think we're going to have a really great lineup this year because of that. Sounds so, great. Yeah. And the other part of what I do for the festival is, is write about the books. You know, we try to get every one of our festival authors into the paper before the festival with book reviews or interviews or excerpts or whatever. And I, I do almost all of that. And that's a lot of work too. So I'm sorry about the noise. That's my dog. He thinks it's, <laughs> it's okay. Usually our dog would be barking at this time because uh -huh. the mailman comes about this uh -huh. time. So he yeah. hasn't come yet, but yeah. Well, Marlo is usually pretty good when I'm on doing something like this, but every oh. once in a while, there we go. <laughs> I just heard her. <laughs> <laughs> just wait a minute. Just a minute. It's Roxy's job to try to keep the mailman from coming up to the house. Uh -huh. yes. She tries every day. About <laughs> six days a week, she tries. You've probably already thought about this, but since it is going to be online, have you got the word out to people with special needs? We've announced that it's going to be online without a whole lot of details, but just that it's moving online. We'll do a bigger sort of announcement and more details probably late August or early September. And I think for a lot of people with special needs, as you were saying, you know, if you have mobility problems, this will make it easier for you. Yes. Yeah, and we need to look into, probably need to look into closed captioning the videos. Oh, yeah. Well, good for people idea. who have hearing disabilities or, or things like that. And but, YouTube's a good platform for that, too. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think it's not very difficult to do. I think it's just a matter of, you know, adding that. So, Marlo. <laughs> Oxy is much shriller and much harder on the ear. <laughs> yeah, he has a deep voice. He's a big guy. Yeah, dog. he's kind of sexy. Uh, he, <laughs> I think he heard that. Settle down. Just he's agreeing. <laughs> well, is there anything else that you might want to touch on that we haven't kind of discussed about the book or the book fair? I don't think so. I think we've covered most of it. I think so. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very happy that you all uh, asked me to talk about it. It's been a lot of fun. It's, it's been inter an interesting experience for me the last couple of weeks because I've spent so much time interviewing authors, you know, being on the other side, asking the questions. So it's a, it's a different experience for me to be the one answering the questions. Right. Um, <laughs> and and uh, it's well, a little weird, but it's fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm an amateur. Tyler's not. But uh, <laughs> you're a good team. <laughs> it's, uh, it's funny because so I'm used to giving interviews on by myself. You know, I've given them for so many years. But working as a team is a new experience for me. Interview yeah. joint interviews a lot different than doing it on your own. And he does the mechanics and I add color whether he wants me to or not. <laughs> and that's why we're kind of a good team yes i think so i think so well thank you so much and if you know if there's anything else that you want to say just you know shoot me a message we also interviewed sarah gerard and gail massey who are both oh, in great. the collection because we read their novels and then mm -hmm. we also talked to sarah about her story midnight preacher right collection. right i'm glad that you did that's terrific
good. I look forward to listening to those. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. If there's anything else, just reach out. You know, we're around. We're not going anywhere. Like I said in the message, yeah. we are at home. So yes. we're here. And it's a pleasure to meet you, Margie. It's you a pleasure too. to meet Have you. Have a great rest of your day. And good to see you again, Tyler. Take care. Yeah. So that's our show. We talked about Tampa Bay Noir, and then we got to interview Colette. We got to hear all about the Times Festival, her writing, the book. I'm excited about the upcoming Reader's Festival being on the internet. And I think I'm starting to appreciate Noir a lot more. I mean, tonight's a good night for it. It's thunderstorming. It's raining. So who knows what could happen next? Well... If monsters and criminals have any sense, they'll be inside. Check back. We will update our website with the information for the Times Festival of Reading when it comes out. So check our website, subscribe to the podcast, email it to a friend, check out the festival, which is cool. Like you were saying, now folks that aren't even in Florida can check out all the events. It's always a great time. They have amazing authors. They sure do. All right, well, we hope you have a good rest of your day or night or whatever, and we hope that tomorrow is sunnier than it is right now. It's raining. And thank you for the ones that have uh, contacted us that you like what we're doing. That means more than you'll ever know. We appreciate that. All right, signing off. Bye. Bye.